We'll be looking at page 8 and 9 in those notes today. Let me announce some things that are coming up. Tonight, we have our home groups, our community groups. Those meet the first and third Sundays of each month. This is the third Sunday of February, so we're meeting for those tonight, each Wednesday. We have our midweek program at 7 o'clock. Next Sunday night, 6 o'clock in this room, first installment of the marriage series, marriage, uh, a oneness marriage. And uh, they had an introductory session last month. If you missed that, that's what you missed, the introduction. But the content starts uh, next Sunday. So that is obviously for all married couples. And throughout uh, 2019, uh, once a month approximately, they're going to meet to go through that material. Men, a week from Friday, the 1st, March the 1st, is the annual Night at the Range, Men's Night at the Range. The last few years we've had a Women's Night at the Range as well. I assume that's going to be happening, but I don't have a date for that. But this one is for the men, March the 1st. You see in the program the information about that. But you need to uh, register for it, and you can pay your $20 in the Resource Center, which is out that back door and across the hallway. Also, for the marriage series, we need to know if you need a child care so that we can plan uh, what kind of personnel we need to be here for that. And you can indicate that also on the key, at the kiosk that's in the resource center, out the back door and across the, across the hallway. Our next brunch, Saturday morning brunch, newcomers brunch at our house is on Saturday the 2nd. That's two weeks from yesterday, a week from this Saturday. We have that next brunch, 10 a.m. at our house. It's for anybody who's never been to one of our brunches. We hold these periodically throughout the year so that we have an opportunity in that setting to get to know you and you to get to know us. So we would love to have you, but we need to know how many people are coming for food purposes. So you register for that at the information center desk that's out in the lobby. And if you could do that before you leave today, that would be great. It would help us for planning purposes. And then just a couple other things in March, March the 16th, it's a Saturday afternoon, 1.30 to 3, is an ice skating event for the entire family. That'll be at the Brownstown Sports Center, formerly known as the Icebox. The uh, skating is free, but to rent skates is, is $3, and you can pay that at the, uh, at the uh, facility. And then lastly, the 31st of March, the last Sunday of March, is our next baptism. So if you have never been baptized, that is, you have never been immersed to symbolize the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus, that's the way the Bible describes baptism. So you may have been baptized as an infant and or sprinkled as an adult or a teenager, but that's uh, not the immersion to symbolize the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ that the Bible describes. So you've really never been baptized the way the Bible tells us. And every follower of Jesus is to be baptized and signify that they were a follower of Jesus by doing so. So that's for you. There's a one-page application for baptism that is available at the information center desk that's in the lobby tell them you want that application fill that out give it back to them they'll get it to me and we'll go from there but the next baptism is five o'clock that sunday on march the 31st all right we are in this series from self-help to god's help and we are in it because as i've been emphasizing these first few weeks of the series god is in the change business and you know that god is in the change business because he's given us for example his his word, the Bible. And the Bible, combined with the Holy Spirit moving on the heart of an individual, is the most powerful change agent in the universe. 
The Bible combined with the Holy Spirit moving on the heart of an individual is the most powerful change agent in the universe. God has given us his word for the purpose of changing us. And you know that from passages like the most famous passage in the Bible about the Bible is 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, a correcting and training in righteousness. But the next verse, verse 17, is often overlooked. It says all of that. That's that famous verse. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for these things. But then the purpose clause is actually the next verse, verse 17, so that the reason the Bible's given and the reason that it has teaching and rebuking and correcting and discipline, training and righteousness is for the purpose that each person might be fully equipped for every good work so that we might be equipped to put into practice what the word of God says. So the Bible is about us changing from particular habits of thought and speech and action to changing those to good works that the Bible describes, other kinds of thoughts and speech and action. Or you see it in passages like James chapter 1 that tells us that the word of God is like a mirror and we behold ourselves in that mirror and we see that. Our lives and our thinking and talking and acting do not measure up to the character of God and therefore change is required. And how foolish it would be, James describes, to look into a mirror, see that you need to comb your hair, that you need to make some adjustments, but to walk away and do nothing. So God is in the change business. And that's obvious from a cursory uh, review of, of God's word. The failure to change as God desires is due to failure to respond as we should. Failure to change as God desires is due to failure to respond as we should. So what happens with us is all of us are in our situations. We are all in our circumstances. To use the language of this series, we are all in the heat of life. And if we have the chart, guys, if you have that chart, let's show that. But you have that on page 8 in your notes. And you see at the top there your situation, the heat of life. So we've all got that. We're all in our particular circumstances. The question is, how am I going to respond when those circumstances, not if, but when those circumstances are not to my liking. So in the midst of the situation, in the midst of the heat, failure to change as God desires is due to a failure to respond as we should. So I'm in the mess that is life in a fallen world. The question is, how am I responding to it? And how I respond to it is going to determine whether or not I change, whether or not I change in a godly direction. Now, that issue, how I respond, is related to this issue of expectations. I brought it up last week that expectations minus reality equals trouble of all sorts. That I've got my expectations, but then there's my heat. 
And very often there's a gap between those. And depending on how I respond to that gap, it's going to determine whether or not I change in a Godward, in a Godward direction. To put that another way, unmet expectations cause us to respond in ways that make a bad situation worse. So I'm in the heat, and the heat reveals this gap, what I wanted to happen and what's really happening, expectations and reality. Those unmet expectations, then, can become a real problem because they cause us to respond in ways that make a bad situation worse. It isn't the way I wanted it to be. It isn't the way I expected it to be. Because it's not what I expected it to be, I'm not happy. I'm angry. I'm frustrated. I'm depressed. And as a result then of those reactions, those responses, I'm making what is a difficult situation. That's why it's called heat. And we all have it in life, but I'm making that situation all the worse. So what do I do about it? What do you do about it? We have to align our expectations. We have to align, actually I should say realign our expectations to the realities that we cannot change. I like that. I'm going to say it again. Because remember, it's we've got expectations. But then there's the way it is. That's got the real potential to create issues. Depending on how I respond. So how should I respond? I should respond by realigning my expectations to the realities that I cannot change. Now, there are some realities that I can change. My heat might be a lousy job situation. And it may be wise for me to change my job situation if I'm able to do that. So I might be able to change that current reality. Next week, next month, next year. Sometime there's a possibility I might be able to do that. Maybe I can't. Maybe there aren't any jobs around that can pay enough for me to do it. So I can't change that reality. So some you can and some you can't. Very often there are many that you cannot change. And in those that you cannot change, you must realign your expectations to meet, to be the same as those realities that you cannot change. Instead of continuing to hang out in your dream world, you're going to have to bring your dream world to your real world on those things that you cannot change. Now, what kinds of situations are like that? Marriage might be like that. You may be in a marriage that isn't your expectation. What are you going to do about that? How are you going to change that? Unless you've got a biblical reason to get out of that marriage, and those biblical reasons are very narrow, unless that's the case, then you're in a reality that's not what you expected. But what you're going to need to do now is realign your expectations to that reality that you cannot change. I am married to this person. I chose to marry this person, presumably. I'm married to this person. And now, in the midst of the heat, in this case, marriage, I'm going to respond in ways that God accomplishes what he desires in me. 
Here's another one, your health. There may be health issues that are frustrating to you. You can't, you, you can't change it. It's chronic. Now, if you continually are living somebody else's life in the midst of your health struggle. Do you hear what I said there? <laughs> You're living somebody else's life in the middle of your health struggle. That's what I've noticed with people. What they're doing is they're looking at other people's lives and they're going, but I can't do that. But why can't I do that? And you're continually living somebody else's life in the midst of your health struggle. The more you do that, the more frustrated you get. So rather than do that, you realign your expectations to the realities that you cannot change. Now, here's an example in the Word of God for somebody who did that. And I remember reading this passage decades ago, decades ago, and remembering what a profound impact it had on me as I read this. It's familiar to you, very familiar, but never gets old and is as profound today as the day the Apostle Paul wrote it. And it is Philippians 4. Here's somebody in the life of Paul who in Philippians chapter 4 has learned to realign his expectations to the realities he cannot change. And so famously in verse 4 of Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always, I will say it again, rejoice. So rejoice or be joyful Be joyful how often? And then he says, in case you miss that, I'll say it again. Be joyful. Well, it's easy for him to say. I mean, he's the Apostle Paul. Big shot Apostle. Everybody loves Paul, by the way, right? No. People are after this guy all the time. I mean, like after him, physically after him. Satan hates him. Satan's after him. Professing Christians are after him. He writes a whole book, 2 Corinthians, that's a defense of his ministry to Christians. The Apostle Paul. So, yeah, easy for you to say rejoice. And then if you go down to verse 10, he says this, I rejoice greatly in the Lord that you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you have been concerned, but you had no opportunity to show it. He's thanking them for praying for him, for the partnership in the gospel, for monetary gifts that they had given. I'm thankful for that. You had been concerned, but you had no opportunity. But I'm not saying this, verse 11, and this is the thing that impacted me greatly. Decades ago. I'm not saying this because I'm in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Now, just that line. I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. Is that a profound line? I know. Now, I'm going to read some more. But he's saying that... Whatever the heat is, 
whatever the situation is, I respond to it joyfully and I'm content in it. And when he says whatever the heat is, it's not that all is bliss for the Apostle Paul. (laughs) It's mostly not that way. It's mostly not the way he would like it to be if he had his druthers. He wouldn't like people to be out to get him. He wouldn't like Christians and church leaders in cities where he planted churches knifing him in the back while he's away. He would prefer not to be shipwrecked, not to be flogged, not to be beaten, not to be jailed. He'd prefer all that, right? But I've learned the secret of being content, whatever the circumstances. And he goes on to say, I know what it is to be in need. And I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. There's a guy who knew how to realign his expectations to the realities he could not change. And then he says in the next verse, verse 13, famously, I can do everything, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. You all know that verse, don't you? Most of you do. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. But we divorce that verse from the context. You know, we needlepoint it. That's our favorite verse. You know, when we sign a card and we put a verse, you know, we say Philippians 4.13, I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. And what that means is, you know, I can go out there and win the soccer championship. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. You see athletes who do it all the time. I can do everything through Christ who gives me strength. Okay. But Paul's not talking about any of that. He's talking about it's Christ who gives me the strength to be content and to be joyful in the midst of all the heat. That's what he's saying. Paul knew how to realign his expectations to the realities that he could not change. And so that meant that he responded profoundly differently to his heat, to his situations, than we most often do. So what we do is this. We focus on changing the person or the situation. But here's what we should do. If we're going to realign our expectations to the realities we can't change so that my expectation world becomes the set or my dream world, expectation world becomes the same as my real world. If we're going to do that, we have to stop focusing on the necessity of changing something or someone outside of us. Because what we do in the midst of our heat is we look at what needs to change on the part of someone else or this circumstance. See, Paul's not looking at that. What Paul's looking at is what is Jesus doing in me in the midst of the circumstance? How is God using this heat And how does God desire to use this in a way that makes me Christ-like? So he no longer is focused on, if he had a spouse, his spouse. And if I had only married the right person. Or he's no longer focused on the health issue. Perhaps the thorn in the flesh of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. I, I did pray to the Lord three times, Lord, take this from me. But he says, no. 
My grace is sufficient for you. You guys remember that? Okay, Paul's good with that. He's realigning his expectations to the realities that he can't change. He asked the Lord to change it. The Lord says, my grace is sufficient for you. And the Lord gave him these these humbling circumstances, he says in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, in order to keep him from being conceited. Paul says that. So if you're going to do this, if I'm going to do this, you've got to stop looking outside of yourself. You've got to stop in your heat looking at some person or some situation and saying, Lord, when that person changes or when that situation changes, now I'll be good to go. God put that person and God put that circumstance in your life not first to change them, but to change you. And when you get that, now you have different reactions. Now you respond differently. I said earlier, failure to change as God desires is due to failure to respond as we should. You see what I mean? The way we're responding is, okay, change that, change them. That's how I'm responding. And in the absence of that, I continue to be frustrated and angry and upset and despondent and all of that. So now we're moving from the heat to the responses. And you guys have, you have it on your page eight on your chart. But do we have that on the screen as well? And so here's one way to respond. You know, here's a whole set of responses. We'll just go back to that previous one. There you go. Thank you. Let's keep it there. Here's a, here's a way to respond. And if you respond this way, it produces that. Wrong kinds of responses in the midst of your heat produce that thorn bush. And we want to talk a bit today and next week about how that thorn bush gets gets created. Instead of focusing on changing the person or the situation, we need to focus on changing, that is changing ourselves. So we need to humbly ask things like, God, where are you calling me to further change? What qualities that you promised to your children are still not active in my heart? What do you want me to see about you? And that thorn bush on page 8 and on the, on the screen represents the fact that as sinners we tend to respond sinfully to our heat, to our circumstances. And so when we do that, we do a, have a number of things that we do. We bend and twist the truth. The check is in the mail. I mean, not only have, have you had people say that, but in the midst of your heat, you might say that. Or we harbor anger and bitterness. I can't believe after all I've done for her, she'd do that to me. Or we shift the blame. I wanted to do it, but he talked me out of it. It's somebody else's fault. We manipulate other people to get what we want. You're clearly the most qualified person to get this job done. <laughs> we, we can do that in church, too. You know, I just think you're the perfect person to do this ministry in the church. And so we manipulate you into, into doing it. We communicate in harsh, judgmental ways. I'd never, I would have never done such a thing. I can't believe you would be so dumb. 
We numb ourselves with busyness, with substances, 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 with material possessions. I'd like to talk to you about that uh, issue we had last night, but I'm simply too busy. We attempt to get our identity from people or from our performance, the things that we're doing. No one in our church has been as involved in more ministries than I have. We give in to lust. We meet out our own vengeance. I want her to hurt the way she hurt me. We get defensive and self-protective. I'd really rather not talk about it. We respond selfishly and thoughtlessly. I don't care what she needs. I need one evening to myself. We talk unkindly about others and envy what they have. We seek to consolidate power or gain control. We curse one another with silence or rejection. And the list goes on and on. And these are all in the midst of your situation. How are you responding? And those are all thorn bush kinds of responses. Now, do you find yourself anywhere on that list? Do you recognize patterns or tendencies in your own life? Where are you more like the thorn bush than, if you look on page 8, you see you've got the thorn bush on the right, but on the left you've got the fruit tree. See that? So there's two ways to respond. Responding in those ways that I've just described is going to result in this kind of life. But it's possible to respond another way so that you produce a different kind of life. A fruit tree, a fruit-bearing tree kind of life. And we want to get to that. At the bottom of your chart, you see that that goes through the cross. That goes through Jesus. But first, we're going to spend some time looking at how it is that we continue to foolishly react in ways that cause us to develop thornbush kinds of kinds of lives. So I said that Paul, well Paul said of himself, that he had learned how to be content. But Paul had learned how to be content with the realities that he could not change. Now I'm going to switch gears, sort of, and I'm going to make the case to you that you need to learn to be discontent with the spiritual realities that need to change. So Paul had learned, and we need to learn, to be content with the circumstantial realities that we can't change. And at the same time, each of us needs to be discontent with the spiritual realities that need to change. And every one of us has those. This side of heaven, every one of us has spiritual growth that needs to happen, and we should be discontented until it does. I've used this phrase sometimes over the years, a holy discontent with the status quo. Holy, H-O-L-Y. You see, it's a holy discontent because I want to be like Jesus. And so I'm not satisfied with where I am. I'm not satisfied with the sin patterns that keep happening in my life. So yes, I need to be content with the circumstantial realities that I cannot change, but I need to be discontent and have a holy discontent for the spiritual realities in my life that need to change. It's easy in our spiritual lives to become too content, to reach a plateau in our relationship with God, to be involved in church, to attend church. All of you do that. I know that. 
I'm very observant. Here you are. So here we all are. Here we all are at church. Do all of that and still have an explosive temper. Ah, that hurt. Think about that. Think about doing all of that on a regular basis and still having an explosive temper. Regularly blowing up in traffic and getting mad at your spouse. Barely controlling your anger at the referees at your kids' sporting events. Oh, yikes. I mean, don't get me started. I mean, you guys, you guys have seen you know, these kids. They, oh, baby. I, mean, I, I coached a kid's hockey team, a kid's floor hockey team at the YMCA for kids five to eight. And I had this stupid idea that I had two objectives. All the kids play and they all have fun. What an idiot I am. I didn't know that every dad in the audience was just one good break away from being in the NHL. I did not know that. And then he knows his kid is the next Steve Eiserman. I didn't know that either. And here he's got some bozo like me getting in the way of his kid becoming this budding Steve Eiserman. Why are you playing that kid instead of my kid? My kid is better than that kid. Yikes. So I'll get off of that. Let me get off of that pretty quick. Okay. Or we struggle with debt. You know, which is, which is, by the way, a spiritual issue. The Bible has a lot to say about finances being a reflection of the heart. Might always have our eye on the next new toy or the next man toy or some fashion thing. If, uh, if whatever strikes your fancy as a, as a gal. Always wanting to drive us, drive the latest model luxury car, live in a house you can't afford. Despite a number of raises and a reasonable budget, materialism leads into debt. Problems in your relationship with your wife, even though now you're still a churchgoer, you still come to church. Rather than a relationship of love and tenderness and unity, the marriage had the feel of a has the feel of a military detente. Not a whole lot of fighting going on because fighting means you'd care. <laughs> so it's just sort of they just live their separate lives and. End each day sleeping in the same bed. The husband and the wife don't feel close together. There are tons of people like what I just described in our churches. And in our church, if we're honest about it. So I say all of that not to just heap guilt, but to give us the reality that all of us need to be discontent with the status quo. Brothers and sisters, it ain't okay. It's not okay to continue to live with that stuff and to live that way. It is not okay. It is not pleasing to Jesus. It is not what God has for you. But you're never going to get out of that cycle. You're never going to get out of that cycle if you continue to focus externally on someone or something outside of you needing to change. 
Instead, God wants to change you. God wants you to be dissatisfied with where you are spiritually. You should be discontent. We should be restless. We should be hungry. The Christian life should be a state of thankful discontent, or you could call it joyful dissatisfaction. Living every day thankful for the grace that's changed my life, but not being satisfied. Because when I look at myself honestly, I have to admit that I'm not all that I can be in Christ. And we want that. This life of self-examination, of joyful discontent, shouldn't be confused with self-condemnation. I'm not talking about self-loathing. Thank God regularly for where you are. Thank God for what he's done. Hear this. Thank God... That the evidence of what he's continuing to do is there in your life because you want to continue to move forward. See, when you're discontent, you should immediately in that discontent go, thank you, Lord, that I'm discontent. Because what that means is you're at work in my life. And I thank you for that. And I know you're going to move me, move me forward. So it's not for self-loathing, but it's a willingness to examine our lives in light of the hope that we have as new creatures in, in Christ. So here's what the author of Hebrews says. I'm going to read for you a lengthy passage from Hebrews chapter 4. You can listen as I read this, and then I'm going to give you some points that the writer of Hebrews makes in this passage. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 1, or excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who's gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who's been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find peace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He's able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray since he himself is subject to weakness. This is why he has to offer sacrifices for his own sins as well as the sins of the people. No one takes this honor upon himself. He must be called by God just as Aaron was. So Christ also did not take upon himself the glory of becoming a high priest. But God said to him, you are my son. Today I have become your father. And he says in another place, you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from what he suffered. And once made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation for all those who obey him and was designated by God to be high priest in the order of Melchizedek. That's a long priest uh, passage. There's a lot there. But let me give you six things that the writer of Hebrews tells us in our spiritual struggles. And where we still need to change. And where we can find hope for that change. In the midst of everything that was just said there. One. Remember God is not surprised by our struggle. He sees the whole problem. As a matter of fact God came to earth and experienced the struggle. That's part of what that passage is telling. So God's not surprised by my struggle. Secondly. The Bible is for people just like us. 
The writer says Christ was tempted, quote, in every way, just as we are. And he's reminding us that the Bible speaks to ordinary people with familiar struggles of faith and character, like we do. Thirdly, Christ enters into our struggle. He's been there. He faced the full range of temptations. He knows what it's like. Fourth, that passage tells us he will help. We can be confident that we're not alone in this struggle. He gives mercy and grace appropriate to our need just when we need it. Fifthly, he pleads my case to the Father. In all my struggles, I have an advocate before the Father. He pleads to the Father on my behalf until I'm fully delivered from every temptation. And then sixthly, I can come to him, come to God with confidence. Now hear this, I don't have to clean myself up. I don't have to minimize my struggles. I can come as I am and receive what I need. So God's not surprised by my struggle. The Bible is for people just like us. Christ enters into that struggle. He will help. He pleads our case before the Father. I can come to God with confidence. Now what that means is, it means those things, but it means that then my real hope for this change that I should be desiring and therefore be discontented in the status quo, my hope for that real change is not rooted in my performance. It's not rooted in my maturity. It's not rooted in my theological knowledge. It's not rooted in my personal perfection. Not in the quality of my character, my reputation, or my success in ministry. My hope for change is found in a person, namely Jesus. Thanks be to God. And this person has shown himself not only willing, but able to affect those changes in those who desire them. But that means, as I say, you've got to be discontented. You've got to be discontented so that you don't live like, keep living like a Gentile. On page 9, on page 9, you see it says, see Ephesians 4, 17 through chapter 6 and verse 18. And then I have listed for you there 2 Corinthians 4 and 5. Now we'll look at 2 Corinthians 4 and 5 next week. We're going to continue this thorn bush lesson next week. But I want to close today by considering what Ephesians 4, 17 through six say and just doing a survey of those but the headline of that long passage is stop living like an unbeliever stop living like a gentile and so paul who wrote it says this i tell you this and insist on it in the lord that you must no longer live as the gentiles do in the futility of their thinking they are darkened in their understanding, separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them due to the hardening of their hearts, having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity with a continual lust for more. You, however, did not come to know Christ that way. Surely you heard of him and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds, to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, it says, put off 
falsehood. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Do not give the devil a foothold. He who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work doing something useful with his own hands that he may have something to share with those in need. Do not let unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what's helpful for the building up of others according to their needs. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, brawling, slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. That's chapter 4, verses 17 to 32. Now, let me break that down in our final few minutes, and then we'll continue next week. But what Paul is setting up there is this stark contrast between unbelievers and believers, what you were and what you are to become. And you can't live content remaining in the way you were. The old way was rooted in wrong thinking and wrong desires, and it results in wrong responses in life. And the passage I just read catalogs a bunch of these responses. Impurity, lying, Destructive anger, stealing, unwholesome communication, fighting, slander, and unforgiving spirit. Friends, you can't celebrate the wonderful things Christ has given you and be content with that sin in your life. And you know it's still there. You know it's still there when you're at the beach and you're plagued with impure thoughts. Under pressure, we can, we still can avoid the pr- the truth, we can fudge on our taxes, we can borrow office supplies, that would be stealing. We allow ourselves to get angry, have friends, parents, spouses, children, tolerate too much conflict in our lives. We slander the rep- reputations of others in gossip. We withhold from others forgiveness that we so often need ourselves. And we all need to ask, where is that old Gentile way still evident in my life? Where are those thorn bush kinds of responses still evident in my life? But then you put on different kinds of responses. In the way you think, in the way you talk, in the way you act. And then that goes all the way into chapter 5, chapter 6. And it talks about how that will transform your relationships if you do that. That's why famously in chapter 5, you have husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. But see, that only happens if you've done what chapter 4 talks about. If you've removed the old way of thinking and the old way of talking and the old way of desiring and the old way of acting and you've replaced it, if you've been practicing that, now you're able to love your wives as Christ loved the church. You come to chapter 6 and it talks about other relationships. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Children are able to do that when children are being sanctified this way. Fathers, do not embitter your children. Do not provoke them to anger. Chapter 6 and verse 4. Chapter 6 and verse 5, employees, slaves in that context. Obey your masters. Give them the respect that is, that is due their, their position. And then you come to chapter 6 and verse 12. And it says, put on the whole armor of God. 
We wrestle not against flesh and blood. So this this whole thing, this this warfare that's going on that goes all the way back to chapter four is actually not a warfare against somebody else. Guess where the war is taking place? Inside you and inside me. And so we do spiritual warfare. And we put on the whole armor of God and we put on the helmet of salvation and the breastplate of righteousness. And all that is given to us there. And we take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and we go at it to mortify sin in our lives because we have this holy discontent with the status quo. Y'all see that? So we've got to stop trying to change realities in our lives that can't be modified. But we do have to intensely desire to change the spiritual realities in our lives that must be modified. And we're going to see some more about these thornbush responses next week. And then in the weeks to come, how do we do that exactly? How do we, through Christ, have different responses that result in a fruit tree rather than a thorn bush? Let's pray. Ask God to go with us and bring us back together next week. Father, thank you for today and each Lord's Day and the opportunity to fellowship together, to encourage and to be encouraged, to sing your praises, uh, as it were, as, as one people, to you with one voice, to read your word, to pray to you, and to hear your word proclaimed and to hear it taught. We thank you for all of that. Lord, all of it is for naught if we are content with where we are in the sin that remains in our lives. So, Father, I ask you to give me and to give all of us a holy discontent with the status quo in our spiritual walk so that we desire to change, to think and talk and act differently than we do. Grant us the transparency and the honesty in each of our lives to identify the thornbush responses that we typically repair to. And continue to cause us difficulty in our personal lives and in our interactions with one another. And then having seen that, help us to praise you because you've shown us that. That it's your work to show us that. It's your desire for us to see that. So that we repent of that and we put on the qualities that are like Jesus given to us in your word. So Lord, these painful steps are still steps that you have given us. And so we praise you for them. We thank you that we've had this time to consider these important truths. We ask you to help us to put them into practice, even in a small way this coming week. We ask you to grant us safety and to bring us back together next Lord's Day. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.